My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you ever been the recipient of or witness to demeaning words? Things like unworthy, loathsome, ugly, useless, worthless, corrupt, disgusting, disgraceful, rotten. How does that make a person feel? Often they want to shrink, they want to withdraw, they want to disappear. If they had a time machine, they would go somewhere in the past and get lost or change things so the present would be altered. They want to hide, they want to escape, they feel shame. Welcome to the concluding session, the Lord willing, of our current series called Shame Off You. Looking at John 13, 33, a few of the verses we saw dramatized there. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, which will begin with his death for the sins of the world, his burial, his resurrection, his infallible proofs of his resurrection, and then his ascension to heaven when we would therefore await his return. And we're still there today, 20 plus centuries later. So in preparing them in verse 33 of John 13, Jesus says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And here's why the new commandment. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Up to this point, 
People knew they were his disciples because they followed him. That's what disciples do. They follow their Lord, their teacher, their rabbi, their master. Now he's going to leave. How will people know that they're his disciples? By their love for one another. So being the body of Christ, we are surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who are his representatives, his hands and his feet. So the concept of me and Jesus having my own thing going and not wanting anything to do with his people, as annoying as they can be sometimes, is not a scriptural one, even though George Jones sings that song beautifully. He is our Lord, and we reflect that to the world by our love for one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, in other words, underline what I'm about to say, because it's true. I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. This story is in all four Gospels. And one of them, it records the Lord is saying, before the roosters crowed twice, you will have denied me three times, which means that the first crow, Peter didn't catch the clue. Not only did he deny the Lord, but to convince people of the fact that he wanted to convince them of, he cursed and swore. He literally said, may I be damned if I know him. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Then when the rooster crowed that second time, he was no denying. He had, he had erred. The Lord's prediction was correct. And he was hit with shame. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood round a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Has your mouth ever written a check that your life couldn't cash? Such was the case with Peter and the disciples. Now, he being the most verbal one in their midst, his denial is the one most obvious. But the others had also made pledges of commitment to the Lord. They weren't following through with on this night that was most alarming to them. And so he had attempted to rescue the Lord with his sword as though he could conquer with his zeal and passion. The Lord with his sword alone, with a, you know, a detachment of soldiers there, 
the Lord interrupted that and told him to put his sword away. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword and healed the man's ear. So even there, he displayed his love by healing a guy that was part of a group coming to arrest him. So Peter is somewhat dismayed, and he's starting to deny, I never knew the Lord. Inside, he knows he's lying, but he's angry, he's upset, he's fearful, which is what people do when they're mad, when they're angry, when they're upset, when they're afraid. They lie. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Why? Because anger makes people sin. You ever been lied about? Find out. Is the person angry? That's why they sin. They want it to be true. They want you to be the person they've accused you of being because of their anger, their hurt, their wound, their fear. Such is the case with Peter. All right, a little later on in the chapter, we will continue the story. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. One of the Gospels that relates that when the rooster crowed the second time, the Lord looked at him and he went out and wept bitterly, covered in shame, no doubt. Today we're going to look at lessons from a Christ denier. And we don't want to look down on Peter. My goal is for us to somewhat identify with him because we can deny him not only with our lips, but we can deny the Lord's lordship in our life with our lives. When Peter heard what he heard that kept him from denying his denial. Why did he own up to it? Why did he eventually surrender? Why did he stop trying to hide his denial? Because of the Lord's love for him. And the Lord had warned him. And he didn't want the Lord to deny him. Earlier, Jesus had said in Matthew 10, whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Luke 9, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. The same book, chapter 12, he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So stop denying your denial. If there's some denying going on in your life, repent, because we don't want the Lord on that day to deny us, Right? Jesus predicted the day of judgment would come when some appearing before him will tell him, hey, we did some great things for you, some miracles, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Being workers of iniquity, we deny him with our lives, and he will deny us before the throne. What the Lord said and did that gave Simon, warning, ample warning ahead of time. The Lord told him before he told him that he was going to deny him three times. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So while it was hard for Peter to take at the time, 
When he failed, I'm sure these words brought him comfort. Whew, I messed up. But the Lord prayed for me. And he told me the devil's after me. And he prayed for me and, and that when I return to him, that must mean I'm able to return to him. He's going to forgive me. I'm to strengthen my brethren. Sometimes words that are hard to take are actually the words that carry us through hard times. They give us strength. Words like in the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Those are hard to take. You, wanna, you don't want to pull that out of the promise box on your breakfast table, right? Oh, take that one out, lay it to the side. But it's the truth that will carry you through many a trouble. Man, I do not know what you're saying. This is his response to the people saying, hey, we know you. This is one of his denials. Man, I do not know what you were saying. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When the Lord looked at him, was it the look of shock? Like, like, loser, you know, when I need you the most, how dare you? The look of shame. Or was it the look of love? I told you so, bro. But, you know, when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. So these are words and actions of our Lord that not only warned Peter, gave him hope, I believe. How was he redeemed and restored? It's not so much how, but who he was redeemed and restored by. It was the Lord. Even while dying on the cross, paying for the sins of the world, his prayer covers us all. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He knows we're screw-ups. He knows we're going to sin. And when we do, he doesn't go into shock and like, hey, repent, come back to me. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Can I get an amen? amen? And when we return to him, we return stronger. Peter became fearless in his defense of the gospel after this experience and receiving the Holy Spirit to the fact that he died a torturous death, history says, without recanting his relationship with the Lord. After his resurrection, some disciples ran to the tomb. And there they see a man, an angel, sitting in the tomb. It tells him he's not here. And he sends this message. It was women he told this to. Go tell his disciples, the men disciples, and Peter, that the Lord, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Tell the disciples, but be sure you tell Peter. Isn't that awesome? That gives me hope. Go tell the disciples and me and you and us. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What a story. In restoring him, the Lord didn't say, do you pinky swear, do you cross your heart and hope to die, to never do anything wrong again for the rest of your life? Are you ready to go on probation? Shame on you. How dare you have done that? He doesn't do that. He just, this is in Galilee where he promised, tell the disciples and Peter, I'll meet him in Galilee. So this is in Galilee. Peter's there. And he just asked a question, do you love me? Now, Peter had declared his undying love for the Lord. Lord, I really love you. But in this case, he wasn't as arrogant. In the Greek, there are several languages for the word love. There's a word agape, which is the highest form of love. It's sacrificial, high level of commitment. And then a lower form is phileo, it's brotherly love, a fondness for someone, brotherly love. And so he asked Peter, do you agape me, is what he said. And Peter's response was, I phileo you. Peter, do you love me sacrificially? And he, his response was, I'm very fond of you. You kind of miss that in the English. He's not being braggadocial anymore. He's been humbled. And at the, he asked him this twice. And then he gives him an assignment, you know, feed my lambs, tend my lambs, take care of my people. Then the third question, Peter, are you very fond of me? Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know I'm very fond of you. Feed my sheep. He's restoring him. And Peter's being honest. And then he gives him some bad news. You know, one day you're going to die. You're going to be a martyr. Someone's going to tie your hands. You're going to go where you, you don't want to go. And John said this was to signify by what death he would die. And Peter turns and looks at John, the one who's writing the story, and says, he plays the what about that guy game. Oh, what about that guy? Some people deny the Lord because they think he's not fair, because they compare 
their walk with him with the walk of others people when they have a unique assignment to walk out. And such was the case with Peter. What about that guy? The Lord said, if it's my will that he remains alive until I return, if that's what he meant, Peter, John would be the oldest man in history, wouldn't he? 20 centuries. But he was implying the truth that Peter needed to get his eyes off of that difference between him and John and follow the Lord. He says, if it's my will that he never dies, that he, he remains till I return, what is that to you? You follow me. So if we deny him with our work, sometimes it's because of disappointment, sometimes it's because of rebellion. We're mad at God because something's not fair. God never promised us fairness. He never promised us a rose garden. If he did, guess what? Roses have thorns. But he promised us justice, and we have to have the eternal perspective to know that judgment day is coming when all things will be made new, everything will be made right, all tears will be wiped away, and it will be worth it all, like the old song said. So let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Living in the 21st century, what does the word say that can keep us from denying the fact that we're in, we've denied the Lord? Keep us from hiding our denial. 2 Timothy 2 says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So this isn't just for the 12 apostles. This is for us in our day. This is written to a young minister who led a congregation in Ephesus. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if you realize today you've been denying the Lord with your lifestyle or with your words, he's faithful. He is faithful to restore you. Now is the time to return to the Lord and repent. What does the Bible say that give us warning as well? Titus 1 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience are defiled. You may read that and think, oh, that's not me. Well, read the rest of his statement, the same paragraph, talking about those people. They profess to know God, but in works they deny. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Does your lifestyle express submission to the lordship of Jesus and his will? Or is master, savior, just the words to a song, or is it reality in our life? That's a tough question. There was a time in my life when I was denying him with my works. And like a frog getting cooked in a, in a kettle and not knowing it, the temperature of sin was being turned up, turned up, turned up, till it became obvious to all what I had been doing. But backtrack to the background, to my story. In 1975, my family, my sister was already married, uh, or getting married, but my brothers, my two brothers and myself and my parents went to Fort Worth, Texas to the convention center where our denomination was having a convention 
And there we were appointed officially as missionaries to Rhodesia, now known as Zimbabwe, to plant a church in Salisbury, now known as Harare. And that same year, National Geographic came up with an article about Rhodesia. And this was the opening picture of the article. And I was looking at the article with my brothers, and I pointed to the blonde and told my brothers, I'm going over there, because we're making preparations to move, I'm going over there and getting me one of those. And I pointed to the blonde. So over the years, we've told our kids this story, told my wife, and they would get a laugh, because the vet's not blonde, but she really is. Um, the blonde jokes fit her. So in celebration of our 40th, we went back to Zimbabwe to revisit all the old places, and we visited this place. When I found this magazine in the used bookstore, I brought it home one day here in Granbury and showed it to a vet. This is the picture I've been telling you about. She says, oh my goodness, that's where I worked. <laughs> the awnings there, that's in front of a women's boutique called What's Happening. If the picture was better, you could see the little blue and red sign there in the right the right side. And that car, that's the kind of car I had. It's just the wrong color. Anyway, so when we went back to visit 40 years later, we had to visit this street. I took a picture of her crossing the street. And then I did a video of me crossing the street with her telling my brothers, hey, I got me one of those. So it was fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, back to the story, lest we lose the illustration and all the details. So in August of 70, in October of 76, we moved to Zimbabwe. January 21st of 77, I met Yvette, and August of that year, I proposed to her. Got her hand in marriage from her father, who didn't really take me seriously because I didn't have much of a game plan. You know, I'm missionary living on $100 a month, living with my parents. I had been gone from home a couple times already, but I moved back with them to go to Africa with my brothers. We're there to plant a church. We've got to focus. Getting married is not part of the game plan, right? So it's kind of on the back burner. My parents knew I wanted to marry as well. Because I'd been so trustworthy for 21 years, they just trusted me Im implicitly, and I betrayed their trust. I denied the lordship of Jesus with my walk by taking more and more liberties of affection with my girlfriend and, and likewise. Um, she was a new believer, and I was the worship leader of the church we were planning. And by December of 77, it was obvious we were pregnant. And uh, Yvette went to the doctor with her mother and my mother, so they found out together. And... In four days, we were married in the courts. A month later, we were married in the church. A month later, we were making preparations to move to Texas, and we started over in Texas. I was covered in shame. I publicly repented to the congregation for sin and stopped leading worship. And I didn't betray who Yvette was, but obviously anybody with brains could put two and two together, figure out something was going on, us getting married so quickly. And we started over, joined a congregation in our same denomination that was very loving and um, very restorative in their, in their approach to things. And the Lord was so gracious. But I still kind of had this shame on me. 
and a friend, actually a guy that I met in Zimbabwe the same day I met Yvette, uh, sent me a tape. He was in medical school in Michigan, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Sent me a tape by an Australian man, a Seventh-day Adventist guy named Desmond Ford who preached the story of the fall and the gospel of restoration. And in the story of the fall of man in Genesis 3, God shows up and makes clothes for them out of skins. An animal has to be sacrificed to cover their nakedness. And then he pronounces the consequences of sin, which is sorrow in childbirth, nakedness, returning to dust, having to work for a living, sweat, thorns, very unpleasant things. It's a consequence of sin in our life. And how Jesus fulfilled all those, from being naked on the cross to wearing a crown of thorns to being, going back to dust to suffering to give birth to children so that we can be born again. I listened to that tape over and over and over again. And the shame seemed to subside. I wore the tape out. I thought I didn't need it anymore. I'm going to Bible school during this season. I would listen to the tape going back and forth to class. And... Um, when I get out of Bible school, it's time to take it to the next level because all I ever wanted to do was to be a pastor with my life, but I had screwed up. So I appear before my district board with my denomination for license, and on a technicality, they turned down my application. Well, in their interview, sitting there between all the, before all these dignitaries in Lufkin, Texas, I just knew they were just being kind to me by finding this minutiae to turn down my application. So I went home, and all the shame was back. And I went to bed, and I wasn't going to get up again. I was just, you know, crushed and had no one to blame but me. And <clears throat> I went to bed. I was going to stay in bed. Well, that night was when Hurricane Alicia came to town, and we lived in the church trailer park. 32 spaces. And the trailer park people weren't having me staying in my trailer house. They insisted that we get out of our manufactured home, sorry, it's not a trailer house, a manufactured house, and go to the church with the rest of them where they were going to stay through the storm. And I refused. Well, some men came in the house and they were going to bodily carry me to the church. So I surrendered and went down there. I just wanted to be by myself. You ever been down in the dumps? You just want to be by yourself? So the hurricane came. We tried to sleep on the floors, on the pews. A rough experience. But when the hurricane was over, the shame was gone. Because I was surrounded by folks that loved me that didn't even know what I was going through. But it was a shame-lifting congregation, and, and they were what I needed. And so, um, as a result of that experience in my life, when I see someone in shame, I do my best to encourage them. But I don't always know there's shame there because many times we cover it up, it's hidden by other stuff. But if you are ever wrestling with something you think might be shame, talk to me. I want to get that stuff lifted off of you because as painful as regret is, it's a powerful teacher, but it never stops teaching until it just runs you in the ground. And Jesus died for the sins of the world, including his own children. If he did it for us while we were yet sinners, how much more now that we are his children? Third point, 
We are redeemed and restored by the Lord. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, I believe those words, the things he said on the cross, are relevant to us today. In nursing school, our daughter found out our story. The timing of her conception became an issue. They gave her a plastic dial where you dial in your birth date to find the general area of your conception date. The numbers didn't line up. She was gracious. We told her our story, but in her heart, she judged us. And we didn't know it. We did not know it. And Tudor Bismarck, the pastor of the congregation in Harare, um, felt led of the Lord to pay her way to go to Zimbabwe, her tickets, and church members, friends of hers, helped pay her other expenses. She went to Zimbabwe for two months on a mission, worked in his mobile clinic and other things. And while there, she's interviewing the leaders of the church who are part of the youth group during this scandal. Two months later, our daughter comes home healed and didn't walk down the same path. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. God restores and the after effects of our sin, he deals with them and does such, I don't want to call a magic, but he does such wonders with them, you almost think, ah, oh, if he wasn't surprised by our failure, how does he, well, the scriptures say all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called in to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So God will take our messes and use them to make us more like himself. We're told to look to Jesus in Hebrews 12. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The shame he experienced wasn't deserved. He hated it. He didn't jump up and down for the chance to die for you and I. Father, is there some other way? But he did it. He bore our shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isaiah 53 goes into great detail of what Jesus did for us in being crucified for us. That chapter ends, the next chapter opens with rejoice, barren woman, you who have not born. And it goes on to say, your shame is taken away. It reiterates it two or three times about her shame being gone. I believe 54 is a consequence of the fulfillment of 53. Stop carrying around your shame Wearing your regret like a badge. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. Let the Lord heal you no matter what happened to you, whether you were part of it or not part of it. You don't have to be a victim the rest of your life. The question is, do we love him? If we love him, let's embrace the assignments he has for us. But living in shame, how can we feed his sheep when we're covered with shame? How can we tend his lambs when we're stuck in the past? Coulda, shoulda, woulda. The ifitis. If I'd have only done that, if I'd only done that. That's the disease the Lord wants to heal. Peter himself embraced a promise in Isaiah 28 and recites it in his first letter, chapter 2. The promise says, I think it's Isaiah 28, 16, says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Amen. This is construction language. 
When you build something, you want to start with the point of square. If you're building a roundhouse, that might be different. But you want to start at, at, at the center in a roundhouse. You want to start, where's the center going to be? Um, you want to start at the point of square. He's the priceless, precious, unshakable cornerstone. And when we build to him, we're not going to be ashamed. Our building's not going to fall. A builder that builds something that can't stand gets shame for it, right? Oh, I made a mistake, you know, didn't use enough nails or glue or something. But whoever trusts in the Lord will not be shaken or will not be put to shame. These are lessons from a Christ denier. There's another great Christ denier who wasn't his disciple who was denying the lordship of Jesus. That's Paul. He was named Saul at the time. He was out to wipe out the church. He became a Christ follower himself, miraculous conversion, and he too embraced this promise and echoes it in Romans chapter 9, as it is written. Here it is, Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Your life's going to stand. Your ministry's going to flourish. Your walk is going to move forward. In the next chapter, he's talking about salvation. How that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that Christ has raised him from the dead. This is how salvation happens. And he ties into this promise there as well. For with the heart, man believes to righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to do what only you can do. To get people out of the coffin of shame, out of the tomb of regret, to set us all free in Jesus' name. You know, if you go to the wrong house, it's embarrassing, right? If you knock, knock on the wrong house or, or you walk in the wrong house, it could be dangerous, right? Yeah. If that happens, do you just argue with the person? I'm sure I'm at home. I'm sure I am. And just barrel down deeper. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure this is it. That has to be it. You have changed the furniture. How dare you screw screws in the wall and hang a TV on my wall? I didn't give you permission. This is my house. You're going the wrong direction, right? We often do that with the question, why? Knocking on the door at the house of why is the wrong question. Just, you know, go in there and try to find reasons and dig up old stuff and, and uh, get the wrong house. Run to the tower of trust. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Trust him with your future. Learn what you know you know already and let's move forward. with our lives. 
There's some callings not yet fulfilled in this room, callings not yet fulfilled in your life, and maybe the holdup has been shame, maybe it's been fear, maybe it's been regret, maybe it's been words that you believe or other people believe that have held you back. Maybe it's your kinfolks. Get yourself free. As a praise team comes forward, the song they're about to sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. There's some people in here that need to change the word fear. I'm no longer a slave to shame. And declare it in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that your will would be done in our lives, in every area, that we not be held back, that you actually take our messes and make messages out of them. In Jesus' name. I'm
bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his counts upon you and give you his peace, his wholeness, his freedom. Jesus, I command every ounce of shame to be removed from your people in Jesus' name. Set us free to live bold and clean and free to obey you and to love with abandonment, Lord, and to feed your sheep, tend your sheep, and take care of your lambs and the duty calls in Jesus' name. Amen. Go get them, Tigers. God bless you. Thank you so much.